When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Manchester's indie rock and roll station. Access Manchester. The Access Manchester Long Player. An iconic album in full with Jim Salverson. Access Manchester. How do I'm Jim Salverson and this is the Excess Long Player. Classic albums discussed with the people who made those albums. On today's podcast, it's another band that maybe have a little bit more love inside Manchester than outside of it. Because I'm going to be talking to Slow Readers Club, well, Curtin, Aaron from Slow Readers Club about their album Cavalcade. I appreciate that this might be another one of those albums that you potentially aren't familiar with. But as we talk about in the interview, if you like New Order... If you like Joy Division, if you like Talking Heads, then you really should get into Slow Readers Club. There's the definite bloodlines of them feeding into this band. The album is awesome. You can find the link to the album in the podcast description. But first, I hope you enjoy hearing Slow Readers Club talking about their classic album, Cavalcade. The classic album we're looking at today on the excess long player is Slow Readers Club Cavalcade. And I'm joined by... Aaron and Curtis Starkey to talk me through it. How are you doing, boys? Very good. Thank you, mate. Thanks for having us on. Thanks for coming on. I'm going to go straight into this, if that's all right, because this is an album a lot of people will be very familiar with. And I want to know whether when you went in to create this album, when you went into the studio, what was in your head? What did you want to achieve at this point? I think we were just building on... Obviously, we'd had a first album out that hadn't set the world on fire as we'd hoped it would. <laughs> so we still had something to prove, I guess. This album was probably built up through singles, really, at first. I think we had Forever New at first and then um, start again after that. And then singles were going out in the world and then things were starting to build for us as the singles went out and then it became an album off the back of that, really. We were working during the day and recording it around day jobs and stuff. So it sort of pieced together over time. It wasn't like we went in more, you know, more recently when we recorded albums, we've tended to go in and do a proper two weeks or three weeks on, on an album uh, and do it all in one hit. But this was pieced together over time. But um, yeah, I think we were we were confident in the record, confident in the songwriting and you hope, hope for the best, you put it in the world and hope for the best. And it built over time, this one itself. It's one that's grown with people and grown in popularity over the years. I mean, the reason I picked Cavalcade as the album to look at for the long player was because it it did feel like that breakthrough moment for you. It felt like the album where the buzz started to generate around you in a band. You said the first album, your debut, didn't really have the it didn't really get the attention you felt it deserved. Did you feel like you had a real point to prove going in and recording this one? Yeah, I think so. I think we hoped probably that people would get into Cavalcade and then go back and reassess the first album. I mean, there's all sorts of things that can contribute to whether something's a success or not and like boring things like 
release strategies and, and having a tour around the mm. album and stuff that we just did not have together on the first time round for one reason or another because both albums were self-released and we were just making it up as if we went along to a degree. We were confident in the music and hoped people would connect with it mainly and I personally never went, oh, I want to play Wembley or anything like that. It just didn't really cross my mind. You just now at the moment when I when I look out on a crowd or look at our Spotify stats and think, I think I looked the other day and like, 50,000 people had saved Plant the Seed. And I'm like, that's mad. You know, like, that's quite a weird thing. That's the kind of thing that makes you feel good about it, I suppose. What was the ambition then, if you didn't want to play Wembley? Was it that you wanted to be able to just make it the full-time job? Was it that you wanted to play the Manchester Arena? Was it that you wanted to sell X amount of copies? Or was it just you wanted to get your music out there? It was kind of a creative release. We wanted to fill the night and day. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we wanted to fill the night and day, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was great to sell out. The, I don't think we even did sell out. I don't know if we did sell out the night and day. I think I we, sell, we sold out the, the Academy <laughs> 3 was our first Manchester sellout, and that was the launch of this album, actually. So I certainly thought we could we could do all right once people heard us, but I just, I don't know, I wasn't, wasn't thinking about playing big stadiums and things. I mean, I'd, I'd love to play a big stadium. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, wasn't, it wasn't on the agenda then. You know, you had stuff, stuff to say. Yeah. Certainly when you're, when you're younger as well, like you, you think, feel like you've got a, a unique worldview or something, you know, and, and music is a good vessel for that going out. And, and I was not want maybe unique worldviews is pushing it. But it's, it's more like you've got stuff that from conversations with friends or just observing other people in the world, you think a lot of people think these things, but not necessarily say them. And the act of saying them is a good cathartic thing for everybody to do, if you know what I mean, to hear, hear those words on record. That, from my point of view, from a local point of view, is what, what I got out of it and still get out of it, if you know what I mean. It's a really interesting difference, I think, because I speak to a lot of new bands. I speak to a lot of bands who are kind of looking back on their careers. And generally, the ambition is when they release their first tunes, the kind of almost the expectation is because I think music has this confidence in it that the, the ambition is to headline Glastonbury. The ambition is to play Wembley or something like that. So it, it's interesting that maybe that wasn't quite as planned out for you at that stage. I think when Cavalcade was released, it drew those comparisons that I'm sure you're slightly bored of hearing with the likes of New Order. Was that a deliberate musical reference that you were making in your music or was it just being based in Manchester, being fans of kind of the electronic house music indie music crossover that that kind of seeped into your sound the synth stuff is it was mainly my contribution and it, it was to be honest in the early days and the, even the band before the Slurridge club that Elmerta was something to differentiate you from other bands that were out there really and augment just a straightforward guitar band and it wasn't just since it was strings and all that kind of stuff it was mm. just we've got those tools at our disposal so we might as well express the songs as best we can but yeah I, I love New Order but it wasn't I don't think any band would ever have been would ever have been a blueprint. I mean, me and Kurt listened to a lot of Beatles and the Roses and Smiths and like my dad used to play Bob Marley and Bowie and all sorts of things. Simon Garfunkel, all those things are in the mix. But yeah, I think we have we not more more often than not it's the it's Joy Division we get compared to more than the New Order. So I'm, I'm refreshed. Okay. <laughs> by, by the New Order comparison, but I don't yeah. think it's got I don't think it's got quite the the bleakness of Joy Division, whereas New Order. In a kind of very similar way to you, very bright music, but maybe lyrically, it's kind of slightly darker and got that kind yeah, of yeah. Maybe haunting feel. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly there's worse comparisons anyway, isn't there? <laughs> I think what we'd, we'd always been nervous of is we don't want to be seen as somebody that's 
ripping anybody off mm. so but yeah it also is helpful for people to have a reference point to if no one's heard you before and somebody describes what you are and it's a bit of shorthand for people i suppose but um yeah they're a band we respect certainly so i'm happy with the comparison i suppose well, i was interested to hear you listing all those musical reference points there and influences that all play a part in kind of your sound and your development and what you were listening to growing up would Depeche Mode be in the mix because when I listen back to this album and I must admit when I before doing this interview it'd been a while since I'd listened to Cavalcade and I went back and listened to it all and particularly on Plant a Seed I can kind of hear a little bit of Depeche Mode in there as well so I wonder whether they're part of that mix. Actually yeah that's probably the first time I ever heard any comparisons to Depeche Mode was from that tune, from a few sort of people at like gigs and stuff. But mm. again, any of us are like mad fans. I've, I've got a couple of their albums and I know the hits, but yeah, again, it's another sort of indie sort of synthy guitar crossover, isn't it? So, mm. and they're a bit sort of doom pop like we are. So again, <laughs> and, and I, and I, I'd say a complimentary sort of reference as well. Yeah. I like the, um, the, the Vince, Clark, is it Vince Clark that was in the band in the early days? Like, I just can't get enough. That, mm. that era of Depeche Mode. I'm a sucker for the pop tune sort of era. And I think I think he was in Yazoo and stuff like that as well. And that big synthy, big vocal, 80s, big sort of camp ballad thing. I, I like that kind of stuff. I don't know if Plenty quite fits, fits in with those, but yeah, <laughs> definitely it's in, it's in that ballpark. As I mentioned earlier, Cavalcade kind of saw the reputation of the band kind of ramping up. There was a few sold out shows. There was some prominent festival positions there was a load of radio support as well as that kind of ramped up towards the release of the album and as you were recording it by the sound of it did you start to feel any pressure as a band that suddenly this was getting serious suddenly this was going to be a proper job it felt very gradual so i don't it didn't it wasn't probably until the album after that it felt like that it was still uh building i mean it did open doors was i think there was one track I saw a ghost on the record that got tweeted out by James and then off the back of that we got a support tour with them and that was a, that was probably our biggest biggest break really although Cavalcade had probably been out for a while by that point but the, the you know the music just floated around and and been passed from one person to another and and James got onto it unfortunately for us they were they had a had a tour coming up in it and that thing that we took when you know we've been sat in the practice room thinking this is the kind of break we need, you know, we need a support slot with a big big act to do big things for us. And so far to that point, it had eluded us and uh, that was a big moment. As much as Cavalcade is a great, you know, great album that we really love and our fans really love, it still winning over people. It was, that was a big, <laughs> a big thing for us. Opening that that door was a, was a big moment in our career, really. And that's a relationship that's continued as well. I've seen you on stage with James a couple of times. Most recently, I think for me, it was at the Albert Hall in Manchester when they did the strip back acoustic performance yeah. there. How important has that relationship been to you, not just in terms of getting extra ears in your work and getting a little bit of promotion through a band that are a little bit further down the road than you, but in terms of almost like any mentorship, has there been that kind of inspiration creatively? It's amazing to, I mean, Saul and Jim in particular in the band were very vocal advocates. And it was Jim that t- tweeted it originally, who plays bass like our Jim, funnily enough. <laughs> but then Saul, when, when we were touring with him, he's just a big ball of energy. And he did intros to agents and stuff mm. like that. He was doing everything he could to help us out and would watch from the wings and tell us stories about him and his family singing our tunes in the car. And yeah, it was just, just amazing to feel that amazing songwriters like that thought so much of us and thought so much of our work it just give you a lot of confidence i suppose 
that you were doing something right. So yeah, it's been it's been great from from a confidence perspective and contacts perspective. And we're still we're still in contact with Saul in particular now. We did a music feeds thing, the charity thing that he did recently with the Blossoms and Sam Smith and all sorts of big acts. We were involved in that through poverty. It's a fr- friendship that's continued. He still takes an interest in what we do, and obviously we follow what they're doing as well. It's uh, it's been good. At the time you were recording this album, as you've already mentioned, it was a balance between passion and paying the bills. You were doing your day jobs, you were into the studio in your spare time recording your music as well. Do you think that detracted from the experience for you? Because I'm imagining when you're doing that, as much as you love the music and you love the experience of playing together and recording and writing, there will be days when you're just dog tired from whatever you've been doing in the daytime. And the last thing you want to do at 5.30 when it's time to log off is go and do your other job. Mm-hmm. Obviously, this you know it's like you meet up with your mates and go and play five side or something. You do it for the love of it. You don't see it as an extra chore, do you? Like another mm-hmm. job. I think once you get to the stage where you go in the studio, you, you sort of do that over the weekends. Well, we did anyway. You know, can't really think of many better ways to spend a weekend. <laughs> yeah, I think it's one of those you sort of you make sacrifices in your in family life as well. Would, would probably have been impacted. Like you wouldn't go out as much, or you wouldn't you wouldn't do the five sides necessarily as much as you might have done. I mean, there was sessions on this one. I think we took a few days off work and wrote for three days, which was a good chunk of this album. So we did our fresh heads in that regard. But yeah, most of it would have probably been finishing work and then heading into town for half seven or whatever and starting again and staying there till half nine. I'll go to the black line at eight (laughs) o'clock. Yeah, if it isn't going well, we just go to the pub over the road. (laughs) That was it. So it's either inspiration or sod it, right? Let's go to the pub. Where did the inspiration come from? How does it start? Is it, it for you guys, does it tend to start musically or does it start lyrically and work back from there? Or is it the two things happen independently then come together? What's the process like? It's pretty much always music first and it can be it can be a drum beat that kicks things off or a bass line or guitar part or keyboard part and then I'll add lead, a vocal melody over that. And sometimes hook words will arrive when I'm doing that. Don't mind, I think the hook line for that came and the main structure of that came pretty much straight away. But yeah, normally I'll, the lyrics won't come until the last minute when I'm under some pressure, <laughs> and they'll and they'll sort of happen the day before or in the day on the day of the studio. But I watched a, a documentary on the Bee Gees recently, and they do that as well. Although what I found fascinating about them though is like Barry Gibb in particular would just go around and collecting titles, and he'd go, oh. I don't know, he must have seen Staying Alive written somewhere or something, but and just he'll note down song titles, which I don't do, which I probably, maybe I should do. Maybe maybe we'd have VG success if I was finding uh, <laughs> song titles. In terms of taking your inspiration from the music, if the music's your starting point, because I've always thought there's a bit of a, as we kind of touched on with the Doom Pop stuff and the New Order references, there's, there's a little bit of a juxtaposition between the music and the lyrics. So is it literally a case of taking inspiration from the music that's being created and, and you've got your melody and then kind of layering on top of that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, the, yeah, the, the words will usually be literature or whatever, you know, stuff I've, mainly stuff I read when I was at uni, you know, dystopian fiction, like, it's cliche, but, the, you know, the 1984s, and there was a book called Steppenwolf by Herman Hess that Jim will love me name dropping, because he always laughs at that. But yeah, it was, from, you know, from lyrics-wise, it was books or part of what's going on politically and stuff. You forgot to mention Roald Dahl, though. Roald Dahl, yeah, Roald Dahl, and he did Enid Blyton and, uh, yeah, Peppa Pig. More recently, Peppa Pig and Teen Titans Go. <laughs> wow, looking forward to the next album. Uh, <laughs> before I let you go, I'd like you both to pick a standout moment from the album that 
we can reference, we can listen back to. It could be a favourite track, it could be a little bit of a track, it could be a moment that sparks a special memory. Just something that's really significant to you from Cavalcade. Kurt, you can go first. Oh, God. I'd probably say, which is going to sound like I'm doing it because I, I started, but the opening of Cavalcade, it's, sort of a, it's quite a bit of a big gig moment when we had that as the opening track, so I'll go with that. What is it that makes that special for you, just because it is the, the opening track? No, no, just from the reaction at gigs. We didn't play it a lot in, in sets. It wasn't really a single or anything, but once the album got sort of a bit of love, when we did throw that in at the start of the set, it got a great reaction. So it has a special place in my heart. Does that influence kind of your relationship song with songs on the album that you've created throughout your career quite heavily, like the how a audience receives it or how a crowd reacts? Yeah, it can do. It can go the other way. You can have a bad kick and it doesn't, you don't play it too well and then uh, you can't stand the song. But mm. yeah, I think another example is on the TV that the reaction we get from that live still is, is immense. So definitely has an influence. Aaron, what would you pick from this album? It'd have to be Forever in Your Debt, really, which was the first track that we released in the album. It felt like a different, like a fresh direction compared to the first album when we wrote it. It's a big live tune. Everybody goes for it when we play it. It's got a sort of big euphoric moment towards the end. There's a lot of people out there with tattoos and lyrics on them. So, yeah, that would be the, the standout track for me. Finally, when you look back on this album, it's six years old now, so released in 2015. What's your relationship like with it? Do you look back on it and go, oh, I wish I could have done that differently? Or does it, for you, capture kind of a perfect moment in time and you wouldn't change a thing about it? I think it's the latter for me. I'm, I'm really proud of it. Yeah, it is, it is of its time. We could probably, production-wise, probably do better these days or whatever, but it stands up, I think. I don't tend to listen back to what we do unless I'm trying to remember how to play stuff. But we don't um, <laughs> listen back it. You know, very often, but last I think it was last year we did a listening party with it and listening back through the tunes, it's 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 nice. I'm I'm proud of every track on the album personally. Curtis Aaron, absolutely pleasure to speak to you guys. Um, what's next for Slow Readers Club? When do we get the Peppa Pig inspired album? <laughs> um, well, yeah, I don't know if we can say anything. We have been working on new material. Um, obviously, we had two albums out last year, so we might not. There won't be another album this year, but there, yeah. there might be some more music. And then, yeah, we've got festivals and tour we're touring from mid-september in the uk so yeah it'd be great if you could come along and see us certainly if you enjoy what you hear i should ask you before you go what was the story behind the surprise <laughs> album i guess we can call it that came out in the middle of lockdown last year because you had joy of the yeah. return and then was the then what that 91 days in isolation that, that's right was that purely written out of wanting something to do during lockdown and keeping yourself busy in complete honesty it was a little bit of a survival instinct thing We'd had a top 10 album with Try the Return, which is yeah. amazing. But, you know, 89% of our income comes from live and that went away. So we were just like, well, what we were supposed to be touring at the time, we ended up writing 91 Days in Isolation. We did like some lockdown videos and stuff like that, where we'd done live versions of our tunes that we pieced together and put out videos of and stuff. And just to keep ourselves entertained and the fans engaged and all that kind of stuff when we couldn't gig. Yeah, we were just like, what can we do with our time? What have we got control over? We'll just write another album, and, and it was good because it it was written all written remotely. It was a really different process, and it it brought forth different kinds of tunes out of us. And it's an it's an approach that we'll probably keep using as we go forward, as well as all writing in this, in a room together. It just brings different stuff out of us, and it'll keep it more interesting for everybody. What was the reaction of management and label to the fact that you just had this huge success with? Joy the return, and then a few months later, you're going, Ah, oh, we're going to put another album out. Was they kind of like, What were you doing? It's great. You need to keep, keep your powder dry. 
Well, that was quite that was quite easy because we were partnering company with both. <laughs> okay, <laughs> thank you. well, there you go. <laughs> Problem solved. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we were making decisions at that point in time, so yeah, we had our autonomy. Probably commercially, we might have been better to keep keep hold of it, but yeah, it was, yeah we we wanted something to record that time and uh, get it out in the world. It's, it's another record we're proud of. Can't wait to play the tracks live. I look forward to hearing them. Got a bit off topic there, but beautiful to talk to you. Thanks very much. Really look forward to seeing what comes next and hopefully you. seeing you on the road again soon as well. Nice one, Jim. Thanks for having us, mate. The Access Manchester Long Player. An iconic album in full with Jim Salverson. Access Manchester. Nice one for listening to that. Slow Readers Club talking about Cavalcade, their classic album on the Excess Long Player. Please do follow or subscribe to this podcast. That lets us send you the new episodes as soon as they're ready and there's plenty more to come with some brilliant bands. Also, leave us a review or a comment in iTunes or however it is you listen to podcasts. We'd love to know what you make of this show. But that is it for today's Excess Long Player. Excess Manchester.